I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Okay. Let's get started. I might as well get this one over with. (laughs) I am doing something uh, quite different today. I am going to start the the one on uh, on the spiritual gifts and prophecy. Prophecy is the main thing I want to get to. That is coming. It's going to be a series, but I thought I would do a one of here, something that that I've been thinking about, <laughs> something that I've been thinking about. Maybe I do think about it. I don't know. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully nobody's around while I'm doing this one. It's it's uh, not just a bit controversial. It's it may be uh, quite interesting to you all. But first, beforehand, make sure if you are coming to us on YouTube that you subscribe and click the bell so that you can get more like this. If you are coming to us on one of the podcasts, it's welcome to Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton, and today our subject is... <laughs> okay, let's see here. How... Okay, our subject is, will it be sex in heaven? A question... That we all have, but rarely do we pursue. And sometimes whenever you look at it, you kind of have an automatic presumption about it because of a particular Bible passage that we will deal with. It could be right, but I think that uh, you might find this very interesting, what I come up with. (laughs) I was talking to my wife earlier, and I was telling her what I was doing it on, and she was like, oh my gosh, you only wish. I told her, I have found a loophole <laughs> to where not only am I wishing, but I think I might be right. No, actually, I have thought about this before. I've thought about it a lot, studied it before in the past. And, uh, you know, I, I have mixed uh, mixed thoughts about this. And I'm not saying that what I'm talking about here is true. You're going to have to judge for yourself. I think, I think I'm more right than not. So that's the best that I can give you. But will there be sex in heaven? Now, there's a couple of things I want to talk about first. Because whenever you start to talk about sex, like I introduced it very timidly, that is, I, I think that's somewhat problematic. I mean, of course, it's something that we should be careful with. It's something that's very intimate. It's something that that even whenever the Bible talks about it, talks about it in euphemistic ways, meaning that it kind of changes the terminology a little bit so that it can not be so crass. And I don't want to be crass about it. But I do think that we in the Christian community for the last 2,000 years have, have really been scared of it. And so scared of it that we try to divorce anything in the Bible that might speak about sex and turn it into something else. I think we've gone tragic in this direction many times. And some people still are doing this, even that believe like me about the, this issue. Uh, for instance, uh, whenever you've got the early church talking about the Song of Solomon. Now, the Song of Solomon, whenever you interpret it from an exegetical standpoint, that means what do the people here, what did they understand, and what did the author intend whenever he wrote it, 
it is a celebration of a sex between a husband and a wife, their marriage ceremony and what happens afterwards. And it does get euphemistically graphic. It, I mean, if you get into a study of it, you will see that the Song of Solomon gives details that might make your face turn red a little bit if you're reading it around other people or reading it out loud or studying it out loud. But it is something in the Bible. For the, that's first, you got to understand that the Bible speaks about it very plainly and has an entire book devoted to it. And in a proper way, you have to understand it is a very, very good thing. Wherever God created Adam, and then He brought all the animals to Adam, there was something missing from Adam that didn't fill him, didn't make him complete. And then whenever you have Eve made, there is a celebration, even a song that is sung by Adam that says, hey, here, here's the one that I finally found. And it has to do with the, the passion that you have, the passion that God has created within you, this void that you have that you want to fulfill. And it's ultimately fulfilled or maybe most particularly fulfilled. I don't want to say ultimately because there is many ways that this can be fulfilled even outside of marriage yeah, between uh, men and women in general. But um, most particularly whenever you talk about the sex and sexual intercourse and, and the things that are all involved around that. Um, and, you know, I mean, gosh, God created it. It's not as if God's embarrassed about it. I mean, God has created it and put it within us as something very intimate, but at the same time, God created it, and he created it in such a way to make an expression of, hey, I'm sharing this with you. This isn't something new I'm creating. Uh, this, is, this isn't something new whenever I created humans, and I said, you know what, the, these guys are humans, and let's create something brand new that we've, we don't know anything about. And let's create this thing that is, is in some ways, the ultimate physical satisfaction and let's let's give it to them only we don't know anything about it though no god shares of himself that's his joy that's the reason for creation he is excited about sharing of himself and this is part of himself i know it's odd to think of it that way but there's a lot of things that are odd to think of whenever we're talking about god in trinity always existing in the same essence but three persons there is a relationship that they share. I'm not saying I'm not saying in any sense, and please don't hear me say that they are having sex with each other. I'm what I'm saying is that that is a part of the common bond, and there is there is a uh, the, a type of pleasure that is expressed in the entirety of it all that they know that they know well, and in some sense experience in probably to a much greater degree than us, but not through the same act as us. Now, having said that, whenever we whenever we talk about this being developed throughout history, we see a time where people begin, like I said, to blush over this and blush more and more. So much so that in the early church, they took the Song of Solomon, a song, a a, a song about an entire song, an entire book about sex, and changed it. I thought I'm very very uncomfortable what they changed it to. They changed it to kind of this. Uh, uh, double referent prophecy or double referent analogy, a a type of 
something that has a deeper meaning, and I'm very uncomfortable with deeper meanings too. I mean, I'm 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 very I'm fine with if you're interpreting the Bible according to what the author intended, according to what the audience heard. I understand that there are underlining meanings, but it depends upon the type of literature. It depends upon the purpose of it. There's so many things you can't go and start mining in the scripture trying to find some some secret meaning. It's called Indiana Jones hermeneutics, where you're just excavating the scripture, trying to find something deeper. You'll always find something deeper if you do that, but I could find something deeper with a phone book if I did that. We do not do that to scripture, but unfortunately we did because the song Solomon got turned into not between a husband and wife, not sexual intimacy between a husband and wife, but the relationship of Christ in the church. And I, I mean, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to honor Christ. You're trying to say the Bible is all about Christ. And you're taking this particular book and saying, how can we make it about Christ? But we really need to make it about Christ rather than about sex because we, we don't want to talk about that. Now, there, there's even something more underlying than that, a deeper reason why the early church would do something like this and why it is that not just did they blush whenever they would talk about this, kind of like we might. Uh, unfortunately do in all contexts, but they would, they, they, they had a, they had a philosophical system that was built into just about the entire world of the day, at least the entire West. This was called, this was from Plato, Plato having this idea that, that what we have down here is just an image of the better up there. Uh, we are only images of the real the real is is in heaven, and everything you see here, from a chair to a person to to a uh, to the sun that you look at, there's something more real in heaven, and something better, the fuller, the real thing that that represents. We're only representations of whatever is real up there, and this became kind of this idea of dualism. Dualism expressed that. Um, everything physical here on the earth, everything physical that we see and that we, we look at and we, we're involved with, including us, who we are in the flesh, pleasures, everything we experience, all this stuff is the lower version. It's the bad version. The good version is up in heaven. It's spiritual. And so we have this dualistic mindset that set in very early on and unfortunately plagued the church. I just got a book by James Sawyer on this, a little booklet on it that is uh, something I would recommend Jim Sawyer wrote, and it's just about dualism. And what you have is this this system that uh, that goes into the church where the church is thinking, and it was in the Greek philosophy, like I said, and you can find it in the scripture, especially in Acts chapter 17, you see it whenever Paul is preaching about uh, the resurrection. Nobody's ever heard of a resurrection. You're like, why would the body, the physical be resurrected? That's ridiculous. I mean, we the, the, the thing that's the type of does not get resurrected and become that which it is a type of. Uh, the physical was bad. The, the, we wanted to escape the physical. We wanted to get out of our bodies. And so whenever Paul talked about the resurrection, the Athenians were like, hey, we need to hear about this again. What in the world's going on? We, we haven't heard this before. And they were actually kind of interested in it because I think it appealed to who they actually really were as humans, as it does for all of us. We are flesh and blood. This is, this earth and the way it is, is what was good 
very good whenever God created it. And that's what we are getting back to whenever God creates the new heavens and the new earth. That's why he's resurrecting our physical bodies. They will be perfected, yes, and sin will be extracted, yes, but it's still a very physical world that we're going to live in for the rest of our life with a before and an after, with movement, with uh, measurements of movement called time. So you have all these things that they thought were bad on here on the earth, and then heaven is good, the spiritual, the ethereal realm, where we're going to be floating and playing harps or something like that. Simply not true, but that's what they adopted. And so here's what happens in the early church is you have a slow adaptation of this. I mean, you, you can find it even in the great Augustine quite a bit, where we are mainly trying to get to heaven. That's the main thing. And that sex here, it's one of those material things that are just kind of, hey, the, the, that's just a necessary evil that we have while we're here. And we're going to get extracted from that. We won't have to have this stupid sex anymore and the, how bad it is. And so they began to think of sex as just a necessary evil. And why would the Bible talk about evil in such a way? So it must mean something else. Song of Solomon becomes about a relationship, between, a weird relationship between Christ and the church. And sex just gets quieter and quieter and quieter to the point where you have, you know, priests who, hey, if you're going to become a priest, the greatest thing is for you to never, ever be involved in any of that kind of stuff. You have the monastics who, you know, put themselves away from society and all pleasures and all food and, you know, the best they could and. You had uh, Simon Stylite and the Stylites who would get on top of on top of pillars and live their entire life, 35, 36, 38 years on top of pillars and have people just give them the necessary foods that they had and not experience any of the pleasures of life. The pleasures of life became something that was evil and it was only here and if we could get away from them, the be that's the best we could do. And that is simply not true. That is not the way that God made the world. These pleasures of life are things that God created and were very good. There's nothing wrong with engaging in them. It corrupted ones, no. Perverted ones, no. But the ones that God created, the way he created them, that's the perfect way to have them. He knows best. And so this is what happened with sex. So as we move down throughout time, we get to today, and you find some kind of redemption uh, in the Christian community of, of sex. Uh, you know, The Joy of Sex was a book that was produced not too long ago and it, it in the 19th or 20th century and uh, some other ones along with it. And I think there it has been a, an attempt to redeem it. You have some people teaching Song of Solomon out there that uh, do a very good job of it and teach it in the right way. And, um, uh, you know, two adults, two people who can handle this stuff. But so still, I mean, it's a celebration of it, a celebration of sex. So we, we come all through that through this area, try to get us to today and say this, answer this question, will there be sex in heaven? And you say, well, Michael, why have you been asking that? There's one passage in scripture that deals with it and it's over. You know, there's, we know that there's not. Well, let's read it and let's see. I mean, you could be right, but, you know, take what I've said so far and let's move into this area. You have some questions that the Pharisees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, um, are bringing to Jesus. They did not like, the re they, they didn't believe in the afterlife. Um, Pharisees did, Sadducees didn't. Oh, did I say Pharisees? I meant Sadducees. 
The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did. Pharisees were a little bit more orthodox, or a lot more orthodox than the Sadducees. Remember, there were three groups. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes that were living in Christ's day, kind of as the three main Jewish philosophies. And the Sadducees were ones that were always arguing with the Pharisees about the resurrection, saying there was no such thing as a resurrection. There's no such thing as an afterlife. And Christ agreed with the Sadducees. I mean, the Pharisees. <laughs> I'm messing this up, aren't I? Uh, well, here, let's do it this way. Uh, you know what made the Pharisees and the Sa- No, no, no. How does it go? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. That's why they were so sad, you see. Okay. <laughs> I remember it. You'll remember it now if you've never heard it. Okay, so they come, the Sadducees, they come up with this plan to stump Jesus. And it's about the resurrection. That's what their focus is, the resurrection. They want to show, show Jesus, who believed in the resurrection, taught about the resurrection, believed in the afterlife, of course, uh, and they wanted to stump him. They thought they had something really good. This was something they used all the time, and nobody's really ever gotten it. It's one of those great arguments out there that you carry along, culture carries along, your your position carries along, and you never you never feel like anybody answers it well. Well, they come to Jesus with this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 19. He said, um, they come to Jesus and say, Teacher, Moses wrote that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife behind and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up the children to his brother. Okay? Uh, Leverite law. That was it. Leverite. Lever having to do with uh, the Latin brother-in-law. So you have this law that is given, and it's given back in, oh gosh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. It says, if a brother lives, to, if brothers live together and none of them dies without a son, <coughs> excuse me, and one of them dies without a son, the dead man's wife, uh, the dead man's wife will not marry someone outside the family. Instead, her late husband's brother must go to her, marry her, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law. Okay, so that's the law. This is what the, the uh, Sadducees are talking about. So they have a situation where this happens. And then they said, well, okay, there were seven brothers, and the first one took a wife. He died with no children. So here we go. Let's apply the law. Seven brothers. And the second one married her, so thus fulfilling the law, and died leaving behind no children, and the third likewise. So you're having this happen over and over again with all these brothers. So seven, and so seven, all seven, left no children after they all died, and the last, at last, the woman dies. In the resurrection, when they rise again, they think they've got them, you know, tricking them, which one's wife shall she be? For all seven had married her. Got them stumped, right? Because you're going to be up in heaven, and you're going to have seven wives, and you know, this is ridiculous, they're basically saying. This is the way that they, they think they've caught Jesus, is by giving a, this is called a uh, reductio absurdum. I'm reducing your argument to, to the absurd by showing you an example of how it will not work. And so Jesus said, is this not the reason why you are mistaken? You do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. 
For when they rise from the dead, they will neither, neither marry or be given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And then he goes on and talks about the fact that dead men rise and really shuts them down even further. But he's basically responding to them saying, hey, you don't understand. You, you, your basic mistake is you don't understand the power of God. You don't believe that God can rise people from the dead. That's the deal there. Okay. And then he, he deals with their objection about being married. And there will be no buddy married in heaven or given in marriage in heaven. So doesn't, doesn't that say there's no sex in heaven right there? Well, maybe. Okay. I, I do give it a maybe. But I think probably not. I think we may be reading too much into this because that's not really the question those Sadducees were asking. They weren't asking, hey, will there be sex in heaven? Let me reduce it to the absurd by talking about it. They may have included it. I don't, I don't think so. But the main point is fulfilling the law. And in that day, whenever a, brother, whenever a woman's husband died, there was absolutely no hope for her. I mean, the worst thing you could be in that day was a widowed woman with no children. If you had a, a boy child, the boy child could grow up and take care of you because the only thing you could do in that day was hard labor work and the women could not fulfill it. And so they, they depended upon the man in order to provide protection, to provide the food and to provide everything that they needed. And if them, they did not have a husband, at least a son, but this lady does not have anybody. And so she is just wandering out and hopeless unless she has somebody to marry. And so they were talking about that situation and they had in mind that situation they had in mind, you know, whenever you go up to heaven, what, what's the situation going to be now? You know, maybe even who's going to take care of her type thing. But that, that's the main thing that they see is kind of this ridiculousness, this reductio ad absurdum. There's no way this could be fulfilled because look what will happen. And number one, I mean, here's the deal. In heaven, it's not like that. It's not as if the woman has to have a man in order to take care of her. I mean, there's there's no question about the men, but the men are, you know, of course, self-sustaining. And in heaven, they're going to be self-sustaining. But how is this woman thing going to work out? Which one's going to take care of her? Which one's going to have her? And he says, hey, none of them have to. It's different in heaven. They're like the angels, now, this does not mean when he says they're like the angels, they are sexless. We know that. That would make it walk way too much on all fours. Uh, we will have sex in heaven. We will have sexual organs in heaven. We will have sexual genitalia in heaven. That is not part of the fall. Sex is not part of the fall in the sense of uh, what sex you belong to. Sex is not part of the fall in the sense of the act or performing of sex. Neither one of those. Both of those, or at least one of them for sure, will be retained in heaven. You will, if you're a man now, you'll be a man in heaven. If you're a woman now, you'll be a woman in heaven. Uh, if you're trans, you will be whatever you were born with. So uh, there, there will only be two sexes in heaven because that's the only thing, that's the only ones that God created. And, you know, we have perverted it quite a bit, but it will be straightened out there. So you have this situation where the, the, the Sadducees have been answered, they have been shut down, but they haven't been shut down for that question saying, will there be sex in heaven? Now, some people look at this and they, they agree with me and they will say, well, we, I know it's not talking about, but that it's implied. Uh, 
uh, or excuse me, that don't agree with me, they'll say that's implied within this. And I, all I can say to them is maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Uh, that means it's time for me to end the program. No, I'm just kidding. That was me forgetting to turn off my Alexa. Uh, it may be implied. I agree. Could be implied, but I don't think it is. And let me continue to give you the reasons why. Not only because of the case that I built so far, that sex is part of the original creation. I don't think sex is a necessary evil, and I don't think it's just for procreation. We know that there won't be procreation in heaven. There will not be. God rested on the seventh day. He's not going to be creating more people once the fullness of time has come, once the fullness of the people have come. Once the last person is born, then Christ comes, and and we won't reproduce anymore in that way. That will be complete. But will the act of sex be complete? Only if you think the only reason for the act of sex is for that reason, to procreate. But I don't see that in the Song of Solomon. I see that in the Song of Solomon, there is a beauty to it, and it doesn't, it doesn't say the end goal is to produce there, although that is a end goal of sex. Uh, it doesn't say the end goal is to produce an offspring. It says the end goal is to create the beauty and the, the wonder and the intimacy of this type of expression of love and to celebrate it. And it won't quit being celebrated in heaven. Why would it? It's still God sharing with us. It's not as if, like I said, he didn't give us something new that he didn't know about. And it's not as if he's going to take it back in the end. Whenever we get to heaven, we will... I believe, still be engaging in sex. <laughs> okay, but now you say, wait a minute, Michael, I got all kinds of questions. And I know you do, because I do too. Um, now, some people say this. They say, uh, it's, it may not be, though, maybe they'll say it won't be with sexual organs as we have them today. I, I think that, that, why not? I mean, it's it's like if we still have them, that's not part of the fall. It's not part of the fall that we started using these organs for something that w uh, we were supposed to do some other way uh, and be fulfilled in some other way. No, those were always meant to be fulfilled in such a way. You can tell by the very anatomy of them. That's the way they're supposed to be fulfilled. And we, we need to get more comfortable talking about this, even though I'm getting a little bit blushy here. Um, okay, so... Whenever we get to heaven, how will that work out, Michael, if, if, you know, just like the people, well, just like these guys said, you know, if you were married a bunch of times, um, how will you be able to pull this off? Which one will you be able to pull it off with? That kind of thing. Now, some people have come and said this, well, we will, we will have the same type of intimacy. We will express it a different way to an infinitely greater degree. It will be so much greater. It, it, they'll, they'll express it like whatever you believe about it here, whatever you think about it here, you can compare that, let's say, to uh, you have the, the uh, what's a good one? How, how about from milk to chocolate milk? You love milk, but whenever you have chocolate milk, that's really, really good. I mean, that's just, I uh, that, that may not be a good illustration, but maybe you have, Maybe you have something like uh, uh, milk to chocolate, you know, the, the pleasure you get out of each one of those, plain chocolate. And chocolate is so much better. The milk is good, but just think of graduating to chocolate. And that is what they would say is like, it is like whenever we get to heaven. 
will still have sex, but it will be infinitely greater. I'm not sure about that, okay? I think it will be greater in a lot of ways, but I think they're, they may be overplaying their hand here because, because they're still kind of embarrassed about it. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think it will be greater because... Because it will be more pure and be without sin. Those of you who are out there and you have engaged in it in a in a in a way that is not proper uh, outside of the marriage bonds, uh, I'm, I'm sure you you know how how pleasurable it is. But I have engaged in it uh, uh, to my regret before I got married uh, with many people that I should not have. I was. I was living a really bad life, and my main purpose was to go out and have sex with as many girls as I could. I really enjoyed it, obviously. And I'm not saying right now, hey, gosh, I, I hated that. <laughs> I can't stand what I did. I mean, I hated it the whole time. I was, no, there was a sense in me, which there was a great pleasure being fulfilled through that. But I, I, uh, I also know that since I got married and since I understand it more and since I've devoted myself to the Lord a lot more, I understand how much greater it is in marriage, okay? It is so much greater in marriage, for one, because there's an intimacy that is created when there's only one person you're with. There's this connection that you have that is only between you two, and you're not, you don't think, man, I wish I could have this connection with a lot of people. No, if you have it with a lot of people, it breaks it automatically. Believe me, I know that. But whenever you have this intimacy, the way that it was meant to be between one man and one woman, then you have it fulfilled. The fulfillment comes, that's part of the fulfillment. It's not just the act itself. It is the fulfillment of intimacy with, with a special person. Now, some people say, well, we're going to have that intimacy in some way. And most of them would say outside, not the same way we're doing it now. I say, why not? But anyway, they say in some way we will have this fulfilled with everybody. And I think to myself, that that just sounds terrible. I mean, some of you may say I used to think it sounds great, but I think it sounds absolutely terrible. And I think it falls outside of what it was originally purposed towards and the intimacy that you have with someone. And so I do not believe that, and I don't believe that in heaven we have some type of equilibrium among relationships. Part of the great thing about being here on the earth is to have special relationships. I don't think we'll just, we will love everybody the same or the same way in heaven. I will love everybody. There won't be any sin in heaven, but we will still have special relationships. They will carry on. And in heaven, I don't, I see no reason why they won't carry on in a very, very similar way that they are here. And I don't see any reason why they won't carry on in a similar way whenever you talk about children's relationship to their father in heaven, but also to some degree with a husband's relationship to the wife. And again, we get back to the Sadducees problem and say, well, wait a minute, there's been too many. And I say, wait, that is talking about taking care of and, and fulfilling the Leverite vow of marrying them to take care of them. Of course, you know, they would also have sex, but it was for creation of children at that point. It wasn't that, we're, that they were going to have that same connection with every one of them, I doubt. It, it's hard because once you have more than one, the connection is gone. You know what I mean. And so I do not discount that in heaven there will still, whenever he says there will not be any marriage in heaven, I think the focus is upon the way that marriage was set up at the time in the Leverite vow, which they're talking about, and 
the fulfillment of that part of the marriage. Now, will there be any sense of marriage in heaven? I think there's going to be a sense of relationship just like we have today. I think there will be an intimacy just like we have today. I don't think it will be with many people. I could be wrong. Uh, I, I, I hope I'm right, but I could be wrong. But I still think that that will carry over. So it's is it marriage? You might be able to call it marriage in the sense that we're talking about it, but not the sense that they're talking about it. So they won't be given in marriage and won't be taken in marriage. Uh, they will not be given over to somebody in order to take care of them type thing. But either way, whether or not marriage exists, I, I know that there will be special relationships. I do not see any reason why the sex was just for this time. He shared it for us just for this time here. I think there will still be the same type of engagement in some way. Maybe I'm just hoping. <laughs> some of you are out there saying, boy, you're just stretching. I don't think I am. I mean, you, you listen to this. He says you will be like the angels in heaven. Well, what are the angels like? Well, we don't know much about angels, okay? We, we don't know much. But they're not married or given in marriage. But do they have sexual passions? Um, I don't know. I think they might. I mean, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they do have some sort, and maybe they fulfilled it wrongly. But, you know, Jude talks about the angels who left their proper domain uh, and uh, uh, engaged in sexual acts. Their proper domain was with other angels, but they left it to go engage in sex with humans. Well, why would they do that? See, Genesis chapter 6 talks about this, says the sons of God, verse two, uh, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Well, what? so what? They don't have the kind of passions. How do they know they're beautiful? What do they know what beautiful looks like? Uh, do they just think they're beautiful like a mountain range or like a sunset? No, they saw they're beautiful in some type of passion that they automatic, that they had at the time. There's some type of sexual passion. And they go to fulfill that sexual passion with them and leave their proper domain. Now, that's filled with all kinds of problems, I know, but I believe it happened. I believe it's true. It may be bizarre, may be odd, but, I mean, when does bizarrity ever dictate truth? I mean, there's all kinds of bizarre things in this world. Now, having said that, here's you got the angels. We will be like the angels. So we will still have these sexual passions, but we do not leave our proper domain. What is our proper domain? Is it one person, and is it some type, something like marriage? I don't know. I have the tendency to think so. Can it be with your present spouse? I don't see any reason why it can't. And I, I would think that there would be a special relationship that is built either now here on the earth or built there in heaven. Building of relationships is not something that happens only on earth because of the fall or is only meant for earth. God is in the process of restoring plan A, not moving to plan B. We're going to have things here on the earth very much like on the second earth, very much like they are here on the first earth, just without sin. We can't imagine how great it's going to be without sin, but we will be without sin and then we'll be able to fulfill everything that God created us, created us for except procreation because there's no longer any procreation. But it doesn't mean that there isn't sex in heaven. Well, all right, that's the best thing. Oh, 34 minutes. <laughs> that's what I got. That's what I got. I hope that it was at least made you think, and uh, maybe you just call it hopeful thinking. I don't know. Hey, listen, 
You guys, go to my Patreon page. Here it is if you're watching this. My Patreon page is the page where I get my primary support now. It, if you go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash C. Michael Patton, or just search Patreon C. Michael Patton, then you will find it, and I want you to become a member of some sort. $3 member all the way up to 100 to $1,000 member we even have. So, I mean, this is just to support what I'm doing, the ministry I'm doing. But let me tell you something about being a patron. There is all kinds of special things we're doing. We've got a big group there now, or a decent-sized group there now, and we're, we've got a community that we're building, and I'm really excited about this. This came unexpected, this community. But there's all kinds of ways to create community. So think of just getting involved in a theological community that is active, that we are doing things, that we discussed. We're going to find, we're going to keep on building this and growing it in many different ways. I'm probably going to have to get some leaders within this community. But become a Patreon patreon.com see michael Patton. join at any level and then you will be part of this community you'll get very different prizes for each level uh, or a variety of prizes for each different level but it is the way to support me and it is what i would appreciate uh if you can't do it i understand please go to patreon anyway and follow you can follow at patreon um let's see here I don't know what else, guys. This is uh, something that hopefully you have enjoyed and uh, you'll share with other people. So I am out. See you next time. Theology 